I still recommend College Works to this day, and I think it's been critical in my whole career. And I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you. The stuff that you learn from the very beginning of how to run a business all the way through to the very end on executing, it was unbelievably impactful. I mean, you've got to knock on doors. You've got to talk to total strangers. you got to convince yourself you can do this thing you've never done before in your life. That, I think, is something that was incredible that really stuck with me and is kind of a core driver for Questech today. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Today's show... I'm your guest host, Sean Phelps, president of CollegeWorks Painting, helping to run CollegeWorks throughout the Midwest and teach college students how to run our branches of our companies. And I got the privilege of having David Boyd, one of the interns I worked with in my early days at CollegeWorks, somebody uh, who I had a great time working with, uh, really looked up to, even though I was managing David, I looked up to him as a role model. We'll talk about that today. And uh, we'll talk about uh, what he's doing now, how he's been successful. So David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sean. Appreciate it. Um, so we always like to kick it off with, how do you define excellence? What's your definition of excellence, David? Man, hard hard thing to pin down into a sentence or two. You know, there is, it can be high achiever. It can be, you know, financial excellence. It can be about hard work, precision, accuracy. One of the things in our industry as a mechanical contractor that I think is different with excellence is you really have to apply it to all the different aspects of what you're doing. So excellence doesn't mean perfection. Excellence doesn't mean you're 100% accurate with everything. So my definition of excellence has to do with hard work, has to do with um, responsiveness to the people you're working with, and it also has to do with how much you care. And, and I think that's something I've learned in my career is the, the amount of care that you put into things actually is tied to the excellence that uh, you get with results. Got it. So caring and not being perfect. So why is that not part of being excellent to you? So I I think sometimes people will get, get too obsessed with being perfect and they want to be 100% right. And they also have this big fear of being wrong. I think our education system really rewards right answers, really disincentivizes wrong answers. Sometimes you have to be willing to work in that gray area to actually find the best way for your team to succeed or for people to grow. And it's not going to be about being right. One of the things for our company, for for us to be excellent as a company, we also have to admit and know when we're wrong. And so if one of the things we say at Questech is no perfect people allowed, because perfect people are always blaming people because they can never themselves admit when they're wrong. So we kind of have a really different different view on it. Um, it's more about, can we have customers that are happy with us? Can we have an end product that's excellent that might mean we have to face some adversities along the way? So we just have a little different spin on things. 
Got it. So the end result is quality. To get there, there might be a messy process or some humility along the way. Exactly. I love that word humility. All right. To- totally tied to it. Uh, so let's talk about your early days. We'd like to kind of go back and reminisce. We talk about how we met, but yeah. what were you like even before I met you in high school, college? What were the things you were doing? And did you you know, take out at an early age to go, I'm going to become the president of a company. I'm going to be on the Columbia, Missouri Business Journal's top 20 under 40 list by the time uh, I get to 2023. Was that on your vision board in high school? Man, absolutely not on my vision board to be under in the uh, top 20 under 40. That, that wasn't even on my vision board in the last couple of years. But yeah, going back to high school, um, I love playing sports, played basketball, played soccer. I went to a small Christian college or Christian high school. And so w- was really involved in that, passionate about, you know, competing, always had a couple teams that we were going up against. And OK, can we get can we get past this team this year? You know, you had your rivals having that rival and and those things in the sports world definitely drove me. I was way more passionate with that than I was with schooling. Um, when I got into college, I kind of started wanting to follow my dad's footsteps. Pretty typical thing. You know, son wants to follow his father. My dad was in the engineering world. I got in the engineering world a little bit and was like, oh, man, this is not for me. I'm not sure what this is. Um, I was really involved with my church at the time. I led um, several years of missions trips down to a place in Guatemala. We did English teaching. We helped with medical clinics, all sorts of stuff. And that's really where my passion for leadership started growing. So um, I, the missionaries that we were with down there, the guy was a really great visionary, uh, developing this big network of schools and clinics and he got me reading just some different business books and different leadership books. And, and I would say at that point in college, one of the things that really I changed the trajectory of my life was my passion for reading came out for the first time. I had never been a kid that wanted to sit down and read a book. You know, I was more into playing outside, playing video games. And this really grabbed me in a different way and, and learning about who I am, who I can become, how I can influence people how I can lead a group of people. Um, so that's that's a little bit of the formative part of me. Happened kind of right in the middle of college. Um, had one of those, you know, maybe I got to change my major sort of thing. Switched from engineering to actually switched to Spanish for a semester. Realized that was a total disaster. <laughs> and then I got into where where I really found my passion was studying business. Got into the business school at the University of Missouri. Um, that's where I met you. You guys came and did a presentation to one of my business management kind of 101 classes. And I was like, dang, here's a young dude. And he's out here giving a presentation in front of 300 kids. This is impressive. And and just the whole college works thing really sparked my interest. And and I was falling in love with business school at the same time. And so I chewed through business school classes the last two years of college and did crazy amount of credit hours because I just loved it. I was still reading business books all the time. I was all into investing and finance and and growing businesses. Um, and then that's that's when I got connected with you guys. And just it just kept growing from there. Yeah. So what, what attracted you to the College Works internship? Um, so my dad was starting a construction company 
late, late nineties. And I was in college, let's see, it's 2000, probably three, 2004, I think when we met. So the construction company was still in the infancy stages. I wasn't really, I didn't even really knew what they did a whole lot, but I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur of some sort. I knew I wanted to be involved in, in a really hands-on way of uh, being in a business. And I, I still recommend college works to this day. And I think it's been critical in my whole career. And I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you, the stuff that you learn from the very beginning of how to run a business all the way through to the very end on executing, it was, it was unbelievably impactful. I mean, you've got to knock on doors. You've got to talk to total strangers. You've got to convince them you can do this thing that you've never done before in your life. You got to convince yourself you can do this thing you've never done before in your life. That I think is something that was incredible that that really stuck with me and and is kind of a core driver for Questech today. One of the the mantras or, or themes of our company has been we want to create opportunities for people to grow. And in order to do that, we do a lot of really large commercial jobs. And sometimes there's a ton of risk on the plate. You know, you're bidding on. Let's bid on a $5 million hospital project in Florida. We don't even have workers in Florida. Let's bid on a, let's bid on an $11 million Lee Summit High School expansion project. We only have one guy that lives within an hour of that job site, you know, but we've been able to just take having guts and going, you know what? We've done this here. I bet we can do this there. Let's give it a shot. Um, Almost like every project is its own entrepreneurial experience. It is. It is. And in the so the mechanical contracting world that we're in, we're we do plumbing and we do HVAC projects, really large commercial HVAC projects. The way I describe it, it's a custom machine that's never been built before. Now, you have common components from one job to another, but you're putting them together in a different layout, a different scenario, different buildings, floor plans, issues arise. And that custom machine has got to be put together every single job. And there's always different execution issues. There's always different quality issues that come up, different building materials that you're using with other all the other trades that are putting it together. And so going all the way back to those roots of college works of like, how am I going to figure out how to paint a three-story house on a walkout basement? You know, oh my gosh, I'm looking up at this thing going, what did I get myself into? I know that contract looks huge and I'm excited to send Sean this one, but I'm also scared to death that I'm even going to be able to paint this thing. So it's it's some of those things that I learned back then that really still drive, you know, what we're doing with Questech right now. That's awesome. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about your career because part of this show is to give people exposure and show them what are the different careers that are out there. You know, you talked about you were interested in engineering, then you went into business. And I don't think you knew you were going to be doing $10 million custom HVAC projects in your career yeah. back in college. So how did you kind of find it? How did you get involved? And like, what are, there's a ton of industries like that, that people don't realize are kind of the backbone of the country, the infrastructure, the hospitals we go to, the schools we go to school and the houses we live in, the roads we need, and all that stuff needs to be built, managed by somebody. Yeah. So, um, Obviously, my my dad started this uh, contracting side of a business. He went and joined a couple partners in the late '90s that were doing consulting engineering, and they wanted to start a construction side. So that that was maybe f- let's see how old was that? It was about ten years old when I was graduating college. 
I really had in my mind, I wanted to go into the finance world. I wanted to be buying and selling stocks and trading and, and doing all that. I pursued and interviewed with several different companies and didn't find a fit that I liked. And, and that was right around the 2006, 2007 mark. So right before we hit that 2008 recession. So I feel like I've made a, I, I was had a blessing that I, I uh, avoided that route, but Questec was getting to the point where they were doing probably 10, 12 million a year at that point. They really needed another project manager. And my dad said, Hey, son, if you want to give this a shot, this is the role that we've got. I was brought in. I was working with his partner at the time. So it was like, I don't have to work directly for my dad. I get to work for his partner and these other people and, and kind of cut my own teeth. Got involved in, in doing the project management side of, of plumbing and, uh, HVAC projects in 2007. And it was one of those things where I had a little chip on my shoulder working for my dad going, I don't know if I want to do this. And, you know, I don't know that I can commit to this. I'll do it. I'll give it a year. I'll see what it's like after a year. Hey, I learned a lot and also just got my butt kicked in the first year. You know, like you come in, you're the boss's son. You got a little bit of a target on your back. Everyone thinks you've got the silver spoon. And so I really had to to buckle down and say, you know what, I'm I'm going to freaking prove that I'm awesome at this and I'm going to work my way through here and I'm going to become the best project manager. I'm going to become the guy that knows more about HVAC than anybody else in the company. I'm going to be the guy that everyone wants to ask, you know, the question to and everyone wants to come to to, to fix the problem. And I really had to take that and, and get my own chip on my shoulder that I wanted to do that. and. And that goes back to that excellence piece. Like, I want to be excellent. I want to figure this out. And so that meant that meant when this $3 million dormitory project comes up at uh, University of Missouri in Rolla, hey, give me that one. And hey, when this big barracks project comes up at Fort Leonard Wood, hey, give me that one. When the largest job we've ever done at the University of Missouri pops up, I got my hand up, give me that one. And going into going into the other project manager and and my dad's partner and saying, no, I want you guys to trust me. I want you to give me this job. I'll do it. I'll take it on. And tying that back to, to college works is like, it takes guts to do that. I mean, you could fall flat on your face. You could make some really freaking big mistakes, you know, that, that aren't like two, $3,000 mistakes. They're like, you know, hundred thousand dollar mistakes that, that you could potentially make those are ones that you want to, you want to have a meeting about, you know, and, but that's, I think it's just kind of who I was. I was competitive. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to step up and have the most projects. And, you know, I was, I was doing little studies along the way. Who's doing the most revenue this month. Who's, who's billed the most, you know, for projects this month and tracking and just kind of always had that, that drive to do more. So yeah, that's kind of where we started on. That's awesome, man. So I love the, you know, going from like a 40 hour budget on a paint job to um, these multi-million dollar budgets that you've got to deal with and try to, the constraints you got to work with. And, you know, there's some managers that I think going through the internship right now that feel like this is scary. I'm nervous. What advice do you have to them about uh, how to prepare for that? How to, you know, it seems like to me, the first time is the hardest, probably easier to go take on that $4 million project than your first $4,000 paint job because the first one's so dang scary. Oh, I, I still remember it. I, I still remember the first big conflict I had on a paint job. 
I know exactly the house. I could drive you right to it. And it was brick on the first story. And then he had this, this white board wrapped around. It was wood. And then it was like this shingle red on the top. And I remember walking around his house with him and his wife. And we talked about the scope of work. And there's a lot of repair that needed to be done here. And Sandy, that needed to be done there. And I'm only painting the red. And that's all I all I'm doing. And we get done with the job and he looks at me and I'm, I'm going to collect payment. You know, hey, I think we did a really good job. We knocked this first one out of the park. He was, you didn't paint that white board all the way around the house. And I was like, we talked about that. We we weren't going to paint that one. You told me not to do it. He goes, no, I didn't. I told you to do it. You said you were going to paint all of it. And I'm like, no, specifically, I said, I'm only painting the red. And you said, yes. and. And I remember, I think I was probably too scared to call you at that point. And I remember calling my dad going, I don't know what to do. And his advice was, you just got to go right in the front door. You can't play games. You can't try to con the situation. You just go straight in the front door. So drive over to his house, knock on the door, talk to him, look him in the eye, tell him what the story is and work a, work a solution out. And that lesson that that paint job caused and then that advice from my dad of go straight through the front door has served me like forever. I mean, I'm still using that same strategy. You know, I'll, I'll go into a negotiating setting with a general contractor and we might be arguing about a $20,000 change order. And I'll just tell the guy, look, man, I'm not going to play games with you. I'm going to put my cards on the table. This is the situation. This is what I think happened. This is why I think you owe us this money or the owner owes us this money. And, and that has really helped us be able to resolve conflict really, really well. And is actually what I think helps Questet get a lot of businesses. People know we're going to stand up and take care of things. We're not going to hide it. We're not going to hope that it just goes away. You know, don't, don't paint that house clean up and run away and just think, oh, I hope they don't see that thing back there. No, go talk to him about it. Go deal with him straight through the front door. I love it. So what does the president of the company do? Oh, man, it <laughs> it kind of feels like what we were talking about but before we started. It can be really calm. It can be nothing. You can be top of the world, and then it can be total chaos from one week to another. Um, so a little bit of everything. I mean, I, I think one of my big uh, roles right now is is making sure all of our departments uh, mesh and connect and get along. And, and I really look at those, those lines between where they, where they work and where they connect and make sure things are, are flowing smoothly between those. Um, as you grow as a company, you can really develop silos a lot. One of my favorite authors, um, Patrick Lincioni talks about, I think he's got a book about silos and, you know, Accounting can want to do it this way and estimating can want to do it this way. And, and then in our world, we've, you've got the two big ones, office and the field, you know, Oh, those office guys and Oh, those field guys. And they, everyone wants to kind of blame each other. And so one of my big roles is just helping everybody mesh together all the time. And when the office is frustrated with the field, helping remember, helping our team remember, look, we're here to serve these guys. They're the ones that are making the money. Like no one pays us to have good files. 
They pay us to put in plumbing systems. They pay us to put in HVAC systems. So we got to support and help these guys out. And then also when I'm walking job sites, helping our, our field guys realize, hey, we're there to help you. Like our office team, our project managers, we're there to help you guys. But if you guys can't get us what we need, we can't get the next project for you. Like we're, we, there's things we have to do on our side that ensure we keep getting work and getting jobs. So really a lot is, it just comes back to making sure everything's connecting and flowing well. There's a lot of inefficiency in construction. And so really finding finding where those inefficiencies are and smoothing those lines up uh, is probably, probably where I really, really thrive, really, really like to live and work. And, you know, then there's the day-to-day stuff of proving payroll, signing checks, you know, doing those sort of things too. So. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. So I was going to ask what your favorite thing is. Like, what do you love to do? What are the problems that you love to solve? Or what do you feel like you're really excellent at in that role? Yeah, where where I have the most fun is where I can get multiple multiple teams together, finding new ways to to communicate together, to get material moved in the right spot at the right time, and see a different way, a different system that can develop for for delivering something. Really, to be able to think about the whole construction process as one giant system. And then figure out where those things flow together. I mean, just some silly examples are like we get invoices from subcontractors. We were printing those invoices out, initialing them, you know, job PO numbers, PM approval, that sort of thing, giving them back to accounting, who is then scanning them back in and then putting them into our software. It's like, so we took an electronic thing, we made it paper, and then we went and scanned it again. Like, guys. (laughs) This is really dumb. Like we don't need to do this. And when you're doing this on a 50, 60, 70 million dollar scale, those little process things actually mean a lot. You know, they they actually take people's workload from 50 hours a week to 40 hours a week when you do it right. Another thing we we figured out is hey, every small plumbing project that we do has some really common materials. Why don't we have trailers loaded ready to go? They've got every shovel we need, every every fitting we need, enough pipe to do the whole job. So I don't have to have a foreman that shows up on the job and is like, I need this many paint rollers, this many brushes, 
this many rolls of tape that he didn't have to go and spend a half a day making a list. It's already on a trailer set and ready to go. And so he can tell our warehouse guy, hey, I'm being here. I'm starting on this job on Monday. And the guy's like, great, I'll drop the trailer for you Friday. Guy gets there seven o'clock Monday morning, opens the trailer doors, ready to go. You know, it's like, man, that that took no time on my team, a little bit of overhead prep time from our warehouse guys. And now this guy's productive by 7.30 Monday morning. Instead of, man, he might've had three guys with him and two guys are just drinking coffee for two hours while he gets his list together and then waits for the shop to deliver his stuff. So finding those little workflows and how we can differentiate ourselves from other contractors has just been huge. I love it. And I hear, you know, it's a lot of problem solving. Like what's a better way yeah. to arrange a situation, a system? How do we change the process to make it better and problem solve? And I think, I think I heard an Elon Musk interview once where he said that the you know head of a company sounds like a really glorious thing. Like, oh, I'm this entrepreneur, I'm the boss. But like all the problems you get to deal with are the problems that nobody else in the organization could solve. So they're all the worst problems. So it's like a filtration process of like, hey, the most pissed off customer, the most disgruntled employee, the biggest fight between teammates, and the biggest cost, you know, problems, those are your problems. Like the easy stuff we already took care of. Yeah. Uh, is that your experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, all the nasty emails from a customer to us make their way to my, my inbox. You know, somebody's not happy with, hey, this foreman, you know, walked off the job at noon and didn't come back. Or you guys said you were going to be here and no one showed up or this unit's blowing hot air is supposed to be blowing cold air. And I got this owner, you know, calling the general contractor all mad. All that stuff makes its way to my desk. And it's funny, there's different, there's different cycles of that. I think right now with the the growth that we've done over the last 18 months, we're in more of an, an accounting HR bind. So I've got accounting problems and, and HR issues in terms of just having those teams flow smoothly. We grew from about 140 people to 250 people in about a 12-month time. Well, that stretched the infrastructure that we had with accounting and HR in a crazy way. You know, the volume of, of paychecks they have to do weekly, the volume of benefit administration, the volume of hiring, and that turnover just skyrocketed. And so it exposed where we had some lack of processes, where we had some, you know, some weaknesses in terms of our ability. Um, so that's been my last year, accounting HR all the time, not where I want to live, not the most glorious fun stuff to be talking about. Why does this show up on our financial sheet like this? Why is the balance sheet reading this way? You know, it's like, oh God, let me go all the way back to those accounting classes at Mizzou. That was 20 something years ago, it's, you know, going to stretch my knowledge a little bit, but that's where you got to sit down and figure out, okay, how does this need to be broken out for us to manage our company? Like I need a, I need a set of financials that helps me manage and make decisions for the future. Well, that's a lot of stuff to get, get involved with. It's not the glorious stuff. It's not going and playing golf. It's not taking people to lunch. It's not, you know, happy hour drinks, you know, because you did great on a project. It can be it can be some let's sit down and work through the weeds here and and get it done. So what advice do you have for 20 year olds, somebody in college or just out of college now that's, you know, trying to build the skills to be successful, but doesn't necessarily know where they want to go, what they want to do. And uh, what advice do you have for those people? 
Yeah, a couple things come to mind. Um, become a reader. You've got to read. You've got to figure out a way to always be learning. So whether it's books or audiobooks or something like that, like you can't stop when you're in college. You're you're getting through college to prove to prove that you can overcome some obstacles, but you're not going to learn everything that you needed to learn in college. The next piece would be don't be a victim and take responsibility not just for your actions, but for who you are as a person. Your actions will will get a job done. They'll get tasks done. But who you are as a person is going to be what determines your real trajectory in life. There's two arcs in your career. There's a there's an arc that you're growing on in your ability to perform tasks. And that's going to be your early career when you're right out of college. You've got a job to do. You get assigned, get X, Y, and Z done. And we need it done by this period of time. And You've got to master that and grow in that and and become efficient, become excellent in that. But then you're going to get to a point where if you've mastered that, now you're going to be put into a leadership role. And when you when you get into a leadership role, it's not about getting tasks done. It's about influencing people, influencing teams. And that that is so much more about who you are as a person. So always learn. Don't be a victim and be responsible for who you are. I love that. You got like a competence arc of, I got to figure out how the heck to do this job. Yeah. Once I figure that out, I got to figure out how the heck to lead a team, be somebody other people can rely on, trust, be a role model. Um, what, what are we going to call that arc? What's the second arc? Oh, second arc. I forgot the name. What did we call that? I think it's the being arc. It's who you are being. You're being. Cool. So I love that arc. Uh, you're talking about with competence and being and just becoming the person that is somebody that people can rely on, not just in, not even just in work, but just in life in general for your family, for your kids. You've got an awesome, beautiful family and four awesome kids. And so I think, uh, you know, that's something I looked up to you at when I was in, I was your district manager. And I remember you got married the summer that you did the internship, which not a lot of college students get married I think you had graduated and got married that summer. Is that right? Yeah, I was. Uh, I had one semester left, and I got married that summer. That was a wild summer of doing. I almost made the threshold to go on the Canada trip. I think I did like I think it was sixty thousand back then, and I did like fifty five or something like that. Um, so I I missed that trip, but yeah, I I was going on my honeymoon anyway, so I couldn't go. That was that yeah, was a wild like, that was a wild coming, summer. Are you coming to Cancun, David? Uh, yeah. Uh, my- let me yeah <laughs> i remember going to your wedding and uh, i think there's you know some family members parents and people coming up to me like oh are you david's boss i'm like oh my gosh no well i mean i guess <laughs> technically i'm his district manager but like he's older than me by a year yeah uh, you know he's he's really mature but i think college works you know allows not everybody you know college works gets married right away but they the maturity and the life skills and the ability to do some of those things in life there's a lot of news articles now about College kids, you know, and college graduates, there's so much student debt, they're delaying housing and marriage and kids. There's a whole generation of people that don't have a home because they have student loans and yeah. don't have a, a spouse because, you know, they just can't fathom, you know, that level of commitment yet until, until a lot of that stuff's not happened until 30s and 40s. And not everybody wants that stuff in their 20s, but uh, obviously you did and um, you were able to do it. So, you know, how did that playing into maybe your career success and just getting to that maturity quickly and establishing yourself as an adult right away. 
Yeah, you know, you don't pick when you fall in love, I don't think. So that was a little bit of it. It was it just it shows me the uh, the other aspect was like, man, you're going to be poor out of college anyway. So you might as well be poor with right. a hot girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can have a lot more fun with a wife as a roommate than your buddies. So um, there was there was all that going into it. Um, you know, get a cheap apartment. You know, you're going to have to have a cheap apartment anyway. And, you know, and we had kids pretty young too. I mean, I'm 30, 38, I'll be 39. My daughter's 13. Um, and kind of had the same strategy there too. Like, Hey, our kids aren't going to know we're poor when they're young. So let's just have them now and we'll work the career path later. And luckily I've got an amazing wife. Um, she's been unbelievably supportive of my career and, and really sacrificed her career for a long time to make that possible. So we, we do kind of fit that a little bit of that old school traditional um, role where she's been a, a stay at home mom. And, and now as our kids are older and getting into school more full time, she's kind of getting back and doing different, different workforce stuff that that she really loves and, and is passionate about. But yeah, she really made a lot of things possible for me. One of the things we've noticed um, with employees of ours is if they have kids, they're way more successful. If they're married, they're way more successful. We're, in construction, a little more male dominated in our industry in terms of our, our field employees. If those guys don't have a wife kicking them out of the house in the morning to go to work, it's a lot easier for them to miss work. If they have a kid that they're, you know, earning and supporting, that makes them more motivated to go to work, motivated to do well, to go up that ladder, to say, yeah, I want to be a foreman. I want to be uh, a project manager. I want to get into the 3D uh, BIM department that does all of our 3D designs of buildings. Those guys that have families and have kids early, it pushes them into those roles. They mature quicker. They have a a more uh, altruistic, higher reason to push themselves. It's not just, I want a bass boat or a cool gun or, you know, go to more Chiefs games. It's like, no, I got a freaking daughter at home. I'm going to, you know, provide a house for her. And so, it's it's not something obviously we have to have, but we definitely know that those people are more successful. So and maybe not more successful long term, but more successful in the immediate, you know, early part of their career. Yeah, they've got big, big commitments. to. Yeah, they got more to work for than themselves. I think that's a big piece. It's not just selfish. So but you started to get some recognition for a lot of this recently and you had this big, cool article of, you know, top 20 under 40 or. Uh, yeah. How did that feel? What, what did, did you expect that? Did you know it was coming? I, I didn't know it was coming. Um, I had someone, a couple of people nominated me for it and had to go through like kind of the application process of uh, filling out a big questionnaire and writing a little bit, not really an essay, but there's some longer answers that you had to fill out with this thing and decided to, okay, okay, let me put my best foot forward. Let me, let me try to brag about myself a little bit here about what I've done and and um, what I'm capable of and and what we're doing at Quest Tech and how successful we're being. And it's a little humbling. It's not really my um, my MO to, to put myself out there in that world. I'm not really the get work by networking guy. I'm kind of let's let's get work by being competitive, by bidding a lot of projects, by doing a good job. And so I think it was good for me to go through this, though. It was stretching. It was definitely outside of my comfort zone, but um, it was more rewarding than I thought it was going to be. It really felt it, it felt great to get that recognition. It really did. They just uh, last Friday had a big party for everybody, and 
I invited a bunch of people that um, were really meaningful to me. And it was, I was really blessed by the friends that came and, and kind of, you know, bragged on me and, you know, the hats on the back and high fives through the way was, was pretty cool. So. Yeah. I'm super happy for you. I mean, the, the construction industry, you don't exactly have the Grammys every year, the pro bowl or the all-star team yeah. that you can compete to make and you're a competitive guy that you want to be on that all-star team. So it's awesome. you kind of on the all-star team for your community as well. Thank you, man. So full circle, when you probably did college works, you probably thought, you know, I'm going to learn some skills. I'm going to, um, you know, build a resume and that resume is going to help me get jobs. And maybe some of the other people that have did college works before me, you know, maybe someday they'll hire me or maybe someday I'll get a good opportunity. And now the, the tables have turned. And just recently, you, I think, brought a, a college works alumni on board at your company. Um, so somebody maybe you hadn't met or, you know, didn't see at the job fair, but just said, oh, wait, this guy's in Columbia, Missouri and looking for an opportunity and worked at college works. I should meet him. What do you notice right away when you get to sit across the table from another college works alumni or current college works person? When I sit across the table from somebody or I'm going to go and do an interview, if they've been successful at College Works, my confidence in them goes through the roof. Um, some of that is going, I know the work I put into this to be successful. If these guys are did above what I did, holy cow, I, I got to hire this person. You know, I know they're willing to put in time and effort and do do some not fun activities. I mean, knocking on doors in February to try to get work for people you haven't even hired yet that summer, that is hard. I mean, that's somebody that has vision, that has dedication, that is not looking for a short-term reward, but they have they they have that long-term vision. And, and even though college works may only be a summer, it's not an immediate payback. You are putting hours in that that you really have to stay committed to in order to reap that reward. So I love the way that it's structured. I love the way that it's a it's a delayed reward. Like, hey, you're going to get your, all your financial payout is really going to be on the back end of this summer. It's going to take a little bit of time to climb that hill. And then in our construction industry, it's the same way. You're going to start taking on new projects. You don't get an immediate reward for that. You've got to develop systems. You've got to develop processes and how you design things, how you make, you know, everything flow together. And I just know, man, if I can get a college works guy on our team, I know they're going to be able to accomplish that. How are they different than the other interviews you do or college students you meet or younger people that you're maybe bringing on board? There's there's a maturity level. There is a an ability to look at a complex task and go, okay, there's a lot of steps here. I know this person will be committed to working their way through that. So yeah, it, and none of the tasks really have necessarily any direct translation or correlation to what we're doing, but it's just, I know the challenge they've been through and this means they're up for anything. And if they've succeeded with college works, um, <laughs> get them on board. Uh, I'll bring them in. I don't even need to interview them. We'll just make, I know it'll work. Like, come on. Love it. So those soft skills, it's not what they studied. It's not how well they did in their second semester, sophomore year accounting class. It's. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care at all what their GPA is. I, I mean, you could be a 2.5 GPA student, but if you've kicked butt at, 
at CollegeWorks, you've communicated with total strangers and made them customers and believers in you, even though you had no previous painting experience. You've hired people, you've trained them, you've got them working for you on your own, and you've been able to figure out how to do payroll, how to go talk with suppliers, how to buy the right equipment, how much equipment to buy. These are all decision-making skills that the normal job does not have. You are not tasked with, go spend this money, and here's the roadmap of how it's all going to pay out. And most people aren't up for that challenge. It's not an immediate enough reward. Oh, I just want to put hours in and get paid for my hours. Well, that's if you want to be a, a normal employee, okay, go find a job that you get paid for the hour that you put in. But I'm the, the leaders that Quest Tech needs that we need in the construction industry are people that that really want to take on a, a huge challenge of, hey, I'm going to manage, I might manage 25 people to get this project done, as well as five or six subcontractors, as well as three or four key vendors. That is not an easy thing to do. And I think anyone that's been successful going through college works can do those sort of complex multi-level tasks. So very impressive. I really appreciate being on the show today, David. Uh, thanks for catching up. Uh, it was really fun to catch up with you before the show and we got to stay in touch. Thanks so much and continued success in your career at Quest Tech and continued success with that company. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, John. It's been a pleasure. Love it. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.